0: Hello, I'm Kathy Shagrin. I'm Stacia Matten. And I'm Mary Osborne. Nestled among the beauty of bright green cornfields, family farms, and the gentle rolling hills of west central Illinois is the small rural community of Monmouth. Lots of famous and infamous people have lived in Monmouth. Wyatt Earp was born here. Ronald Reagan
1: attended grade school in town while his father sold shoes at Colwell's department store. Serial killer Richard Speck called this area home for a time. And actress Gladys Gale and Congressman Montgomery Rice were born and raised right here in the Maple City, too. Monmouth boasts Monmouth College, and the Monmouth Zippers. It also has the distinction of being the birthplace
0: of the women's fraternity movement. Our monthly program, which is generously sponsored by the Buchanan Center for the Arts, will feature a true tale from our past. So we invite you to sit back and listen as we learn more about the town we love. This is Prairie Prairie Tales. Tales.
1: Our story for July features English stage and film actor, director, producer, and teacher Charles Lawton. Lawton had a long and distinguished career starring in the Barretts of Wimpole Street, Mutiny on the Bounty, and the Hunchback of Notre Dame. In 1934, he won the Academy Award for his portrayal of King Henry in the private life of Henry VIII. What you may not know about Charles Lawton is that in 1953, he spent a memorable evening at Monmouth College as part of its centennial celebration. This month on Prairie Tales, we remember Charles Lawton, born July 1, 1899, and his visit to the Maple City. On a cold winter night in 1948, a 27-year-old music scout was sitting in a tavern in New York City. All eyes at the bar were turned toward a television broadcast of Ed Sullivan's The Toast of the Town in which a portly, unkept man was performing a dramatic reading from the Bible. The young executive noticed that not only were the bar patrons transfixed by the reading, but that he himself had come under the performer's spell. The executive was named Paul Gregory, and the reader was the Academy Award-winning British actor Charles Lawton. That moment would mark the beginning of a long and lucrative partnership. As Lawton finished his reading, Gregory leapt from the bar and hailed a cab for the Mansfield Theater, where Sullivan's show was just ending. Waiting by the stage door, he soon saw Lawton leaving with a female companion. I would like to speak to you, Gregory told him. Well, what about, old boy? Lawton replied. I would like to speak to you about booking you, Gregory answered. After being told to talk to Lawton's agent, Gregory boldly asserted, You are throwing away a million dollars. Lawton was intrigued and invited Gregory to tag along to the Algonquin Hotel where he was staying. When Gregory finally left at 3 a.m., he had a contract with Lawton written on hotel stationery. Gregory had convinced Lawton that his future lay in traveling the country, performing readings from great literature. It would be a one-man show entitled An Evening with Charles Lawton, and Gregory would book him into college auditoriums in small towns across the nation. It was a concept that would provide not only financial rewards, but also renewed popularity for the middle-aged actor, whose Academy Award for playing Henry VIII had been awarded 15 years previously. In the fall of 1952, Monmouth College began planning its centennial celebration for the following spring, which would coincide with the inauguration of its new president, Robert Gibson. On the planning committee were music professor Hal Loya and his wife Eileen, who was secretary to the business manager. Realizing the magnitude of the centennial and the upcoming inauguration, the Loyas and the rest of the committee sought to book a memorable program by a distinguished performer. Lawton fit that bill, and his Monmouth visit would prove so memorable that Eileen Loya would recount it in a detail in a 2009 memoir. On May 26, 1953, the evening of the performance, the Loyas with their three children, ages eight, 10, and 12, had an early dinner as they were to serve as ticket takers at the performance. As Eileen was finishing the dishes, she heard Hal call from the other room. Wiping her hands on her apron, she rushed to see what he wanted. There in her living room stood Charles Lawton. Eileen continued the account. As we were introduced, Mr. Lawton said, I see you have children and a cat, so you must have milk. May I have a glass of milk, please? As he drank it, he said, I'm very tired and I would like to lie down for a rest. As we went upstairs and I hastily changed the sheets, he remarked, I see you have a bathroom. Do you mind if I take a bath? I think he thought we were such a small town that we might not have indoor plumbing. I rushed across the hall to prepare the room for his use when he followed me and elbowed me out saying, you go take care of your children, I'll take care of the bathroom. The lawyers rushed off to the college to prepare for the program, leaving the house in the hands of their children and their distinguished guest. When Lawton's program began at 8.15, Galesburg Register Mail reporter Ace Sika was in the audience. He described the scene. Lawton got big applause the moment he stepped down on the stage with a pile of books under his arm. They were pretty much props, for he seldom used them. He modestly bowed his head, and his first words were, aw, shucks. Getting off in a light vein, the famed actor began with some zany limericks. His next rendition was a dramatic selection on women from the motion picture Rembrandt of some years back. His own comment on the bit was, soupy, but nice. He then read a selection from George Bernard Shaw's Man and Superman. After a few quotations from Confucius, one of which he described as, This one's a good one, but a stinker. Lawton went into a chapter from Little Dorrit by Charles Dickens. His comment on Dickens was that he didn't expect folks to read 1,100 pages of a Dickens novel because 40% of it was slush, but that portions of the great master were superb. Meanwhile, the three lawyer children appeared at the back of the auditorium, telling their mother they wanted to see Mr. Lawton. While at the house, Lawton had gotten acquainted with them and the cat and had asked for more milk. Eileen promised them that they could see Lawton at the intermission, where they found him sitting alone on the fire escape. While Sika and the other reporters appeared to interview Lawton, he told the children, Well, I'm coming back to your house later, so I'll see you there. While relaxing, the 54-year-old actor told the small gathering on the fire escape that he started lecture tours because an actor grows old, but a reader never does. One of the group commented on the fact that despite that he had a large number of books on the stage, he seldom ever looked at the pages. Lawton replied that it was because of his freakish memory. Lawton declined being photographed until his performance was over because he said the flash bulbs hurt his eyes and he couldn't see the pages of his books. Just before he went back on stage, he asked if his hair was combed and remarked he was a rather untidy fellow. The booking committee had been told in advance that Lawton did not appreciate being fussed over, so it was decided against having a traditional post-performance reception. When Lawton indicated he was coming back to the lawyers, however, Eileen rushed back into the auditorium to find some committee members who could line up some cookies and punch from whatever grocery store was still open. The second half of Lawton's program included an interpretation of Gertrude Stein's A Rose is a Rose is a Rose, followed by his favorite selection from the Bible, the third chapter of Daniel. Lawton brought out a Bible, which he said wasn't his regular one, but an unread one he had borrowed out of a hotel room. Lawton ended the evening with what he called a binge, honoring Illinois' favorite son, Abraham Lincoln, demonstrating how his literary stature had developed from his first political speech to the Gettysburg Address. Following the performance, Lawton and his three managers returned to the lawyer residence to spend the rest of the evening with the committee and the lawyer children. At 1 a.m., Lawton decided it was time to leave for his next engagement at Cedar Rapids, Iowa. It was his custom to travel during the night and sleep days whenever he was on a short jaunt. As Lawton walked to the car, he encountered about 50 college students who had stood patiently and silently outdoors waiting for him, delighted, Lawton spent the next half an hour responding to the students' questions and regaling them with accounts from his career. Lawton and Paul Gregory's artistic and business partnership would continue to flower over the following years. Gregory would produce and Lawton would direct the critically acclaimed film, The Night of the Hunter in 1955, and they would collaborate on the Kane Mutiny Court Martial Stage Play, as well as national stage tours of Don Juan in Hell and John Brown's Body. Following the death of Gregory in 2015, at age 95, film historian Alan Rode wrote, Paul Gregory and Charles Lawton were one of the more significant entertainment collaborations of the 1950s. During a time of the Cold War and the Blacklist, American popular culture was significantly bettered by their work. And that, friends, is where this tale ends.
0: Prairie Tales is a production of the Buchanan Center for the Arts in Monmouth, Illinois. Special thanks to Jeff Rankin for providing the content of this episode. If you enjoyed our podcast, look for more content on Instagram at Buchanan Center and on Facebook at BCA Monmouth. Email us with questions and suggestions for future episodes at podcast at gmail.com. For Stacia Mattin, I'm Mary Osborne. For Mary Osborne, I'm Kathy Shagrin. And for Kathy Shagrin, I'm Stacia Mattin. Remember, Not all history is found
1: in a book. Sometimes it's found in the stories we tell. Just listen to the sound of the prairie and you too might hear a tale.